0: Praise the Lord for God's love. Keith asked me just a moment ago to remind you to next Saturday night, set your watches ahead an hour. Don't do it right now. I'd have to give a benediction because we ought to be able to pass time. (laughs) But next Saturday. Okay, we're on a series called Taking Back What Is Ours. We're in the book of Joshua, if you'd like to turn there. Joshua 13. I'm going to talk today about dividing up the inheritance. Now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old, <laughs> and advanced in years, uh, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains, all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Gezerites. With the other half-tribes, the Reubenites and the Gadites received their inheritance, which Moses had given them beyond the Jordan eastward, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had given them. From Aurora, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, and the town that is in the midst of the raven, and all the plain of Bedeba, as far as Dibon, and all the cities of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who reigned in Heshbon, as far as the border of the children of Ammon, Gilead, and the border of the Geshurites, and (laughs) Meachathites. I I practiced this before today to get this. (laughs) Ain't no sense in having a name like that. (laughs) All Mount Hermon, and all Bashan, as far as Salkan, all the kings of Og and Bashan, who reigned at Ashtaroth and Edril, who remained of the remnant of the giants, For Moses had defeated and cast out these. Okay. I heard one time of a man. His father was given the news he only had six months to live. And uh, he told his son, it was his only son, the only child he had. And he told him I only got six months to live. His mama, the boy's mom, had already died. He thought about that for a while. He went out to a club, was partying that night. He was thinking about his dad going to be dead in six months. His dad was worth about $25 million. And he saw a beautiful woman at the club. And this old boy wasn't very pretty, good looking at all. And he never talked to a woman that beautifully. He went up there and said, ma'am, I don't, I don't know how to say this, but my father's going to pass away in about six months. And I'm the only child. My mother's been gone and He's worth about $25 million. He's going to leave that to me. Would you marry me? She said, wow, you've put a lot on me there. Uh, could you give me a week to think about it, and I'll tell you next week what, what my answer is. He said, okay. Come back next week. He saw her there, and he said, ma'am, he said, give you a week, i give you a week. Will you marry me? She said, I can't marry you. He said, why? He said, because I'm your stepmother. She does step... <laughs> She just stepped in front of, her, of his inheritance and got what was coming to him. Uh, I want to talk about inheritance today. You know, we all have to deal with taxes. There's federal taxes, state taxes, local taxes, sales taxes, property taxes. I read there's something like 97 different taxes. That there's a good chance you'll have to pay licenses and different things you have to do. One thing, now don't take this as gospel. That's what I read We don't have to pay an inheritance tax here in Florida. According to these attorneys, DeLoach, Hofstra, and Kavonis, they say Florida does not have a separate state inheritance tax. Heirs and beneficiaries in Florida do not pay income tax on money received from an estate because inherited property does not count as income for federal income tax purposes. So, how about that? Do you ever think about leaving an inheritance to your children? Maybe some bills for your children to take care of? Or, or our country's leaving a big bill, $34 trillion and counting uh, of a debt we can't seem to get a hold of. I was reading some things about inheritances uh, this week. I'm going to give you some strange things that people leave behind to their children. Aretha Franklin was the Queen of Soul. I remember Aretha Franklin in the 60s and 70s when I was coming up. She died at the age of 76 in 2018. She left behind three handwritten wills on a piece of paper. They finally found a fourth will in her home, but it was not signed. But all the wills were different, and they didn't know which one was working. So her estate were almost $7 million still tied up uh, these last six or eight years, whatever it was. A shopkeeper from Tucson, Solomon Warner, this is back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, he left his wealth to his family. And he also left them a a large cedar chest. In that chest was some of his prized possessions, his family Bible, a saddle that he used to ride his horse, and an original pair of Levi Strauss jeans, dungarees what I call them, from 1893. Never been opened, never been worn. Levi Strauss, one of their factories burnt down And they lost a lot of old archives like that. And they called this man up to see if they could buy those jeans. And they offered him $50,000 for that pair of jeans. He said he wouldn't take it. And now his great-great-grandson has them. And he says he's holding out for (laughs) $100,000. Harry Houdini, the great escape artist, magician, whatever you want to call him. He died on October thirty-first, 1926. He left uh, most of his fortune to his wife, Mary. He arranged for Mary to have a long stem rose brought to her every day for the rest of her life. She had over 3,200 roses brought to her before she went on from her husband. In Battleboro, Vermont, Ronald Reed, a humble man used to drive an old beat-up Toyota. He chopped wood for people up there in that town. It didn't have much, but when he died, he left $4.8 million to a local hospital, $1.2 million to a library. He was worth $8 million, and nobody knew it the way he lived. He had, he had had a big investment when as a young boy, and he just let it grow and compound. He was worth $8 million. Leona Helmsley, you've probably heard of her. She was the billionaire hotelier. Uh, she was also called the queen of means, the way she treated her employees, but she was being there. She left behind various things. She left $12 million to her dog. I hope he was a good steward of that and didn't spend it all. Uh, and he, he lived another 12 years, and then they gave the rest of it to charity. Today we're going to be talking about inheritance, the inheritance God left the Israelites, his people. He left them some land, and we're going to talk about that land today. So let's get into it. A transition. We stopped in chapter 10 last week, and we're now chapter 13. From 1029 to 1224 was a big transition there. Let, let's summarize that. The first time the Israelites got into Canaan and went to war with the Battle of Jericho, we got a lot of details about that battle, what took place. We, lo- we have a lot of details about the next battle, the little town of Ai, how they got whipped then come back and whip them the next time well as we go through here god doesn't give us any big details about their battles anymore he just said they whipped this person they defeated this king they defeated these people and all this and we don't get any details so he just he just adds it all up so here's what the israelites did they came into canaan land right in the middle of it they crossed the jordan river and uh, it would be like if you were Say Florida was Israel. It doesn't look like Israel, but say Florida was Israel. Say somebody come in off the Atlantic Ocean about Ormond Beach or Palm Coast and come across about where Ocala is. That's the way they they, they came in, right into the middle of the Promised Land. Then they took the the southern tribes or people they were fighting against to possess the land, and then they went up and took the northern tribes. It would be like if Florida, you wouldn't start in Pensacola and work your way down or start in Miami and work your way up. They cut it right in the middle and then divided the land in two and did it that way. All right, so that's what they were doing. Here's a couple of things you'll notice in their victories. Let me read you some scriptures. Uh, Chapter 10, verse 30, let's go. See, if you can't pick up a theme of what was taking place. The Lord also delivered it and its king into the hand of Israel. He he struck it and all the people who were in it with the edge of the sword. He let none remain in it but did to its king as he had done to the king of Jericho. And the Lord delivered Lachish into the hand of Israel, who took it on the second day and struck it, and all the people who were with, in it with the edge of the sword, according to all that he had done to Libna. All these kings in their land Joshua took at one time, because the Lord God of Israel fought for Israel. But the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid because of them, for tomorrow about this time I'll deliver all them slain before Israel. You shall hamstring their horses and burn their chariots with fire. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel, who defeated them and chased them uh, to greater Sidon, to the brook of Merethpoth, and to the valley of Mizpah, eastward. They attacked them until they left none of them remaining. Okay, what you're seeing is a thing... God fought for them. God helped them defeat these people over and over and over again. God gave them the victory. Any victory we have in our life, the Lord gives it to us. The Lord fights with us, fights for us, gives us the strength. He gives us the armor to put on to protect ourselves. He gives us the sword of the Spirit. He gives us His name, which is authority. He gives us brothers and sisters to fight with us. One can put a 1,000 to flight. Two can put 10,000 to flight. He gives us His power, the Spirit of God. He gives us everything we need to defeat our enemies, our spiritual enemies here on this earth. God does that. God doesn't do a miracle every time. Sometimes He says, I'm not going to do a miracle. You've got what it takes get in there and win the battle. Fight the battle. And that's what it is. Now here's another thing. They didn't just win the battles because God gave them these victories. They shut them all down. They did not let anybody... They destroyed, they utterly destroyed the enemy. Let me read you some more verses here. Just see this theme running through. And Joshua did to them as the Lord had told him. He hamstrung their horses and burned their chariots with fire. So all the cities of those kings and all their kings Joshua took and struck with the edge of the sword. He utterly destroyed them as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded. As the Lord had commanded Moses' his servant, so Moses commanded Joshua, and so Joshua did. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord had commanded Moses. For it was of the Lord to harden the hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, and that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. You see this over and over and over again. Now, so... He destroyed them, all of them, almost all of them. After the book of Joshua comes the book of Judges. The book of Judges is what happens when you don't destroy all your enemies. You can't decide to coexist and live with them and get along. They will eventually be a thorn in your side. And Judges went on for about 350, 360 years of this where they were constantly being defeated because they didn't wipe out all the people in the promised land that was a part of their inheritance. Now you come to chapter 11, verse 21 and 22, and at that time Joshua came and cut off the uh, Anakim from the mountains, from Hebron, from Debir, from Anab, from all the mountains of Judah, and from all the mountains of Israel. Joshua utterly destroyed them with their cities. None of the Anakim were left in the land of the children of Israel they remained only in Gaza and Gath and Ashdod. Ah, right. these people he's talking about here is the giants. You remember when they decided to go back and go into the promised land 40 years earlier and they wouldn't go? And they came back with a report. The 10 spies said, we can't go in there because there's giants in there. Joshua and Caleb said, we can handle the giants. God with us, we can win. And everybody said, we can't handle the giants. Well, now they're going and they're whipping the giants. And uh, so they had to come back and face them later. But that's what's going on here. Okay, so you're getting a, a real synopsis that he he sent them in there. They're going to possess the land that he give them. They had to defeat all these people to possess the land, and they did. Uh, in Joshua chapter 12, it says they defeated 33 kings, two of the kings on the east side of Jordan under Moses, 16 kings in the southern part of the territory, and 15 kings in the northern part. So a total of 33 people Uh, Thirty-three kings or enemies they defeated. All right, now we're coming to the inheritance. That was the groundwork. Okay, let's look at the land divided. And let's look at the inheritance. The word inheritance is found over 50 times in nine chapters. It's a very important word. The Jews did not inherit their land from man. God gave them this land. The only people on the face of the earth where God says, I'm giving you this piece of property. They didn't get it from a real estate agent. They didn't get it like a lot of evil dictators do and they go and take over other people because they want to expand their kingdom. They're going there to take what God says, this is yours, I'm giving it to you. Now you got to go get it. That's what's going on here. Did you know when when we talk about an inheritance, listen to this, one-fourth of the real wealthy people in this world self-made. They didn't have it. They didn't have any inheritance. They worked. They invested. They did whatever it took. Invented, and they became ultra-rich. Fifty percent of the people in the world that are ultra-rich, they had. They came from money. They had money, and uh, but they took advantage of the money they had and built great empires out of it. Another twenty-five percent of the ultra-rich today, they just had legacy, legacy wealth. They got their money passed down to them by inheritance. They didn't do a diddly squat. They just inherited all their money, and they're wealthy because of that. Now, here's the thing about the land that God's given them. God says, I'm giving you this land, but I'm renting it to you. I'm still It's still my land, but I'm going to let you have it. I'm going to bless it. I'm going to let you prosper. I'm going to take care of you while you're in the land, but I'm going to rent it to you. Look at Leviticus 25, 23, the land shall not be sold permanently, for the land is mine. You are strangers and sojourners with me. So God says, the land is mine, but I'm going to rent it to you. Anybody here ever had to rent anything? I used to have a house, and we rented it out, and uh, we usually had to fix stuff. It was tore up, and it was quite a mess sometimes. I heard one time of a man went to a pet shop, and he Asked the pet store owner, he says, do y'all sell mice and rats in here? He said, well, yes, we do, because we have to have them for our boa constrictors and anacondas and pythons and stuff. We feed them. So, yeah, we have some. How many What would you want? He said, I'd like about 20. He said, wow, okay, I think we have 20. He said, well, why are you looking for those? Do you have roaches? He said, no, we don't sell roaches. Nobody sells roaches. He said, what are you wanting this for? He said, well... I've been renting this apartment, and my lease has run up. I'm fixing to move somewhere else, and they said I have to return it in the same condition it was in when I <laughs> entered it. Well, that's kind of the way it is. Sometimes when you <laughs> rent stuff, it's not a good shape. Now, did Israel have to pay rent for this land that God gave them? Yes, but it's not money. Here's what they had to do to stay in that land. Obey God. Love the Lord, serve the Lord, not chase after idols, not go after the gods of the heathens and all this. Just be faithful to him because he said, I'll be faithful to you. I'll protect you. I'll provide, so forth. Here's the problem. Israel didn't pay their bills. And sometimes God had to put an eviction notice and say, y'all are going to have to get out of here for a while and let some enemy come in and overtake them, run them out or whatever. He did this over and over. He let the Babylonians come in there. So they, y'all can have it for 70 years. The reason, because the Israelites didn't let the land lay fallow every seven years, and so f- over 490 years, that ended up being 70 years. They had to, they owed God, disobeying him, and he said, "I'm going to let the Babylonians come have this for 70 years." After Jesus died in 70 A.D., the Roman general Titus came in there and ransacked Jerusalem and destroyed it, and Israel was no more. They scattered them to the four corners of the earth, and there was no Israelites really basically as a, as a homeland anymore until 1948 and they become a nation again in one day because God brought them back. But the reason God would run them out because they weren't paying rent. They weren't being obedient to him. They were chasing the gods and everything else and not being true to the one who had given this land. All right, so let's come to our text. That was an introduction. Come to our text in chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. He's going to assign the land to them. Now watch this, now Joshua was old, advanced in years, and the Lord said to him, you are old, advanced in years, and there remains very much land yet to be possessed. This is the land that yet remains all the territory of the Philistines and all that of the Geshurites. Okay, I don't know if I give you this, but 1118 also, uh, Joshua made, a, made war a long time with all those kings. How long did it take them to possess this land? A long time, about seven years. So they've been fighting, trying to defeat all these enemies in the land that God gave them over about a seven-year period. And now God says, okay, now you've got it. Now I'm going to divide the land up and give all y'all you alls piece of property in the land. Now, so that's basically what's fixing to take place now. Now, verse 1, God says, Joshua, you're getting old. Now, it's one thing for your children and your grandchildren to say that you're getting old, but when God says it, it kind of hurts you, hurts your feelings. Uh, Did you know this is what takes place when a person gets old? This is physically what takes place. Your skin begins to change because of the sun. You get more wrinkles. Your skin gets more loose. You lose muscle tone. You lose a lot of your physical strength. You usually lose some eyesight, hearing. Sleep patterns change, your energy levels tend to de- decrease, and your appetite changes. Now, mine went up on appetite, but I, everything else went down. Uh, one old boy said, you know you're getting old when you, the candles cost more than the cake that you're eating. Uh, uh, <laughs> they were, I asked one old boy, they were asking this old-timer, Said one do you remember the first girl you ever kissed? He says, son, I don't even remember the last girl I ever kissed. <laughs> uh, old Red Skelton said one time, three things happen when you get old. Number one, you lose your memory. The other two I can't remember. <laughs> so anyway, we're getting old here. One grand uh grandmother was home putting on her cold cream at night, and her little grand four-year-old granddaughter was there with her watching her. She's putting all this cream on her face and all. She said, Grandma, why are you doing that? She said, that's cold cream. That helps uh, make your skin soft and smooth it out, gets rid of the wrinkles. And she just watched her, and she put that on Then she'd come in there and eventually washed it all off. She said, Grandma, I don't think it worked. Uh, So a lot of times it doesn't seem to work. But anyway, they're in the promised land now, and they're fixing to get ready to divide this land up. Who's going to get what? Now, there's a lot of land to be possessed, the Lord says. There's still much that y'all haven't done. I'm going to give you your property, but there's still, you've got a lot more to work to do uh, before it's finished. You know, that's the way it is for all of us. There's more work than we can do. You've got to be ready to pass the torch to somebody else, pass the baton, because there's a lot of work to do in the kingdom of God, and we won't get it all done ourselves. Somebody's got to pick up the slack. Okay, the place of Gilgal. Gilgal became the chief... Place of operation so to speak not jericho not jerusalem at this time in in their history uh you remember gilgal was the place when they come across the jordan river that's where they reinstituted circumcision and started redoing the passover gilgal's the place where saul when he was a king many years later uh couldn't wait on samuel to come and bless and pray for and bless the army before they went into battle And he overstepped his bounds, and and the Lord said, you're not going to be king anymore, so forth. It was at Gilgal. Gilgal is an important place. Now let's look at the process. How does God go about dividing up this inheritance for everybody? Chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Now these are the areas which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest, Joshua the son of Nun, (coughs) and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed as an inheritance to them. Their inheritance was by lot as the Lord had commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and the half tribe for Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and the half tribe on the other side of Jordan but to the Levites he had given no inheritance among them for the children of Joseph were two tribes Manasseh and Ephraim and they gave no part to the Levites in the land except cities to dwell in with the common lands for their livestock and, for, and their property. As the Lord had commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. Okay, now, who determined what land they were going to get? What you're going to see, I'm going I'm to uh, show you in just a moment a map so you can kind of see. And I've looked at many of these different maps, and they're all a little bit different, so nobody knows for sure how it was divided out. Uh, but let's look at let's look at the land outside of Canaan. What we what we saw from those scriptures there was Joshua, Eleazar the high priest, and one of the, and some of the leaders from the different tribes got together and they're casting lots to see who gets what land. And they're they're trying to see what God's directing and they're trying to be obedient to the God and listen to Him. But that's the way they're trying to make this decision. All right, so let's look at the land outside of Canaan. Can you put that map up there? Now, I don't know if you can see that. I can't even see it. But anyway, <laughs> that's the biggest map we could get. Uh, that's the best we could do, and I, I'm, I'm glad for it. I wish I had a pointer. And, y'all just follow my finger. Can you see that? <laughs> Look at that. Look at that. somebody got a pointer back there. That's okay. That's okay. You can see the Dead Sea, and you see the, the, the Sea of Galilee right there, and the River Jordan runs between them. Those on the east side... You'll see Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben. And on the other side, that's the promised land. Those on that side didn't didn't want to go in the promised land. They wanted to stay on that side, and I'll tell you why. Uh, What you'll see right off the bat is everybody didn't get an equal amount of land. They didn't go and survey this thing and God gave each one of the tribes the same amount of land. Look at Manasseh there. They got land on the east side, and they got land in the promised land too. You remember when Jacob was about to die and Joseph, they're, they're living in Egypt, Joseph's brought him in there to take care of them. Jacob's about to die. And so Joseph brings his two boys in there for Jacob to bless them. And uh, Manasseh was the oldest and Ephraim was the, young, the second one. And uh, Jacob goes to lay his hands on them and he does this. He gives a different blessing to Ephraim than Manasseh. And Joseph said, Hey, wait what, Daddy, you you messed up. You got your hands. And he said, No, I know what I'm doing. You remember that story? Well, anyway, here's what was taken. He gave Ephraim the blessing of influence and prosperity, but Manasseh was still the firstborn, so he got double portion. So you see how much land Manasseh got. Ephraim got a lot smaller amount, but there's a different there's a reason for all of that too. So anyway, what you see is all of them didn't get the same amount of land, and all of them's in a different region. In other words, down here by the Dead Sea, some of that land down there, that's terrible. Look, I mean, it looks like desert. When I went there, it was it was really barren and all. With some of that stuff along up there, more northern, more in the mountains and more lush and things like that. But some land, uh, be like this. Somebody say, I'll give you a choice. Would you rather have 1,000 acres... Or one acre. And you say, I'll take a thousand acres. Okay, you get a thousand acres in the Mojave Desert and one acres in Manhattan, New York. Which would you rather have, the one or the thousand? So sometimes it's not how much land you got, it's where it's at and how important it is. So, anyway, here's the problem Manasseh, Gad, and Reuben didn't go into the promised land. They asked Moses before they went over there when Moses was going to take them in there 40 years earlier. They said, can we stay here because this has got good ground for our cattle. And we'd like to stay here and graze our cattle. And Moses said, okay. They said, what we'll do, we'll go in there to the promised land and fight with our brothers to help them defeat their enemies. But we want to come back on this side and live because we can make a better living over here. And it's, it's better for us. Only one problem with that. You see Moab and Ammon. They're living over there amongst their enemies. And they're kind of separated from their other brothers by the Jordan River and the, and the Dead Sea and so forth. So they're, they're trying to enjoy the blessings of God, but they're trying to keep separate from a lot of things too. And so you've got to be very careful there. That's good preaching material, really. A lot of people like to live their life where their life is prosperous, but they don't care about what God's will is for it too much. They're wanting what's good for them and not so much what's good for uh, them spiritually, more good for them financially. And These guys here, they were doing better financially. Their, their cattle and all did good and grazed in that area, but they're living in enemy territory, so they're very much more vulnerable than others. They're kind of straddling the fence. A lot of people say that. Why do I need to come to church? Why, not I need, why can't I just separate myself and I go serve God on the lake and and things like that, and I can have my own little relationship with God because you need to be with your brothers and sisters in Christ. You need to study together. You need to encourage one another, strengthen one another, hold one another accountable, uh, pray for one another. We just need each other. They said we'd rather stay over here. It's a little bit more prosperous for us. So that's what they did, and Moses said that's okay. Now, the Levites, here's another thing. Of the 12 tribes, the Levites did not get any land. God says, I'm not going to give y'all any land. What made the Levites unique? Let me, let me go back and tell you an old story in the Bible. You remember when Moses was up on the mountain getting the Ten Commandments? When he came back, what were they doing? They were worshiping a golden calf. Aaron let them run wild, and they were worshiping false gods and all that. And Moses got mad, tore up the... Ten Commandments and everything. Anyway, he came back down. He was really fit to be tied. And he was ready to do something. He said, who's on the Lord's side among you? And the Levite says, we're on your side, Moses. So the Levites went there and wiped out a lot of their brothers and sisters. Uh, and Moses said, because of that, you're blessed by God. You're, you're on the Lord's side. You're not on the... Anyway, they were special people. Now... He told the Levites, you will not have any land to inherit like your brothers. Let's look at it in Deuteronomy 18, 1 and 2. Listen to this. The priests, the Levites, all the tribe of Levi, shall have no part nor inheritance with Israel. They shall eat the offering of the Lord made by fire and his portion. Therefore they shall have no inheritance among their brethren. The Lord is their inheritance, as he said to them. Okay, so he said, you're not going to get any property like the others. Look what he said in Numbers 18. uh, Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work of the tabernacle of meetings. Hereafter, the children of Israel shall not come near the tabernacle of meeting lest they bear sin and die. But the Levites shall perform the work of the tabernacle of meeting and they shall bear their iniquity, and it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that, ha- that among the children of Israel they shall have no inheritance. So of the 12 tribes, Levites could not get any land. God says, nope. They did get 48 cities to live in. Most of those were cities of refuge and places like that. The Levites were very important. They, they ministered to the Lord and for the Lord. The Levites and the priests that come out of them uh, they were not only priests that served in the temple. They helped make decisions through the, uh, uh, the Urim and the Thummim. They helped uh, treatment of disease. Sometimes if you had leprosy and you were healed or whatever, you had to go show yourself to the priest and all to, to them to get approved. They had a lot of responsibilities in the medical field. They helped judge a lot of things. They were teachers. So they, had, they were all in the ministry, so to speak, different than their other brothers. Okay, now, that's the way they used to do pastors. Up until about 25, 30 years ago, maybe before, some churches earlier than others, pastor did not have a house. They just give him a parsonage to stay in. And he that was his place. Now, the only problem with that is some pastors got sick or whatever and couldn't finish. Or, or when they got to the end of their life, they didn't have nothing. They had to go somewhere and didn't have a place to go. And you say, well, they should have saved their money. Well, <laughs> maybe so. But so they started letting the pastors get their own home, maybe pay on a, ha- a housing allowance or whatever. But that's the way they do it a little bit differently. But the Levites were special people. Uh, the Levites, they could, they were, that God had some strict laws concerning who they could marry more than others. Uh, they could not have multiple wives or anything like that. They had a lot of restrictions on them, but they were dedicated to the Lord. A lot of people ask me from time to time, why do Catholic priests, uh, not marry, N- not to get off subject, but uh, there's a reason why they say that they believe you should not marry. A Catholic priest, they don't marry, they believe you're called to a life of celibacy. And they base it on Matthew 19, 12. Let me just give you that real quick. For there were eunuchs who were born to us from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs which are made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. He who is able to accept it, let him accept it, okay, He's talking about some people they were their God gave them a gift of not having to worry about being married, sexual relations and things like that, so they have the the strength to uh to be celibate. Here's another scripture they use 1 corinthians seven thirty two but I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord how he may please the Lord. In other words, they believe when you're separated unto the Lord and you don't get married, then you can devote all your time not to your wife and children and things like that. You can devote it strictly to the Lord. Well, the Levites were a little bit unique. They did not have land that God gave them. They got cities to dwell in, and they ministered for the Lord in so many different ways I won't go into. But all we're talking about here is the inheritance God gave for his people. Uh, the Israelites, but they had to go and possess the land. Now, let me wind this thing down. Let me say this. We all have an inheritance. As a child of God, God has given us things through the death of his son. When he died, he turned something over to us. Of course, the only difference is he rose again, so he can oversee what he turned over to us. So we have an inheritance. We have an inheritance in heaven. Listen is what Peter says in First Peter, mean Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. So part of our inheritance is in heaven. It's already reserved. It's waiting on us. Somebody say amen to that. Amen. Yeah, that's right. Matthew six nineteen and twenty sounds a little bit different. It says this: Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay. So a lot of our inheritance, a lot what we're looking for is after this life. There are some things he left for us here on this earth as part of our inheritance. Now there's a lot of people don't think about that, but there's a lot of things God's given to us. And I'm going to close this with this. There's three types of Christians. Some do not realize what the Lord's left for them on this earth. They don't know what they have as an inheritance on this earth. Be like this. Somebody give this illustration. Say you've got a little four-year-old boy, and he's playing with a little tonka truck, and the truck breaks, the wheel falls off, and he's crying, he wants you to fix the truck. You could tell him, son, don't worry about the truck, Our great uncle just passed away and left you a million dollars. He don't care about that million dollars. He just says, fix my truck. That's the way a lot of Christians are. They don't even think about what is theirs in Christ. All they want to do is say, i got problems. Fix my problems. They don't realize all the, the things that are at our disposal as a child of God. So a lot of people don't realize what we've inherited. A lot of people don't realize who they are as an inheritor of Jesus Christ. We're joint heirs with him. Uh, be like this. Say you're a billionaire. I'm using money, but I'm not really talking about money. It's the only way I can illustrate it. Say you're a billionaire, and you're in New York City, and you've got to go somewhere, so you call a taxi in there and say, taxi, I need to go somewhere, and you've got in your wallet uh, six—I mean, three $20 bills all you had in there. You ain't carrying a lot of cash. You get there, and the taxi says it's $35. So you give him two 20s, $40 They keep it and go on. And then you get back to your hotel, and you look at your wallet, and you don't have any money in it. You say, wow, I must either give him three 20s, or I lost it. That person does not call the police and say, I want you to go down there and see if y'all can find that $20 I've lost. He doesn't call and say, can somebody... Let me call the taxi people and see if that man got an extra 20 that I didn't intend for him to have. No. Why? Because he's a billionaire. That's chump change. What I'm saying is, if we realize who we are, a lot of the things in the world that's got us down, that's chump change. That's nothing. It's just going to pass. It doesn't amount to a hill of beans if you know who you are in Jesus Christ. Here's the third thing. Some people don't realize what's the most valuable. Tony Blair was the British prime minister years ago. He wrote a book or memoirs, and he told a story in it. He said this. A friend of mine, his parents were Jewish, and they come over, immigrated to the United States, and he was just a little boy. They lived here, didn't have a whole lot of money, didn't have much My my friends grew up, and his father died. So it was just his mother and him. He became very wealthy. And so as he got wealthy and and got married, he kept wanting to take care of his mother. And he said, Mama, let's go visit some other places. Let's go visit some other places around the world. I've got the money. I'll take you. You won't have to worry about it. Let's just go and visit some places uh, while you can still enjoy them. She never would leave. She said, I'm not leaving. He could not get her to go with him. Finally, she died, and they were going through her possessions. She didn't have much. But they found a safety deposit box, and they didn't even have a key to get in. So They had to break it open to see what was in there because whatever you put in there is something that's valuable to you. They had it all wrapped up with all kind of stuff. They went through everything and found out what it was her U.S. citizenship papers. It was so important for her to be a citizen of the United States. She didn't want to go anywhere else because she afraid she wouldn't make it back. Do you understand what really is important to us as a child of God, what we've inherited through Jesus Christ? There's a lot more to it than what this world has to offer. More than people can understand. There's, a, there's two types of, People in the world, two types of Christians: some people go to the Lord for everything and they ask Him for everything because it's all about them. Give me more, give me, give me, give me, give me, give me. And then there are other kind of, other Christians that never ask God for much of anything, and they do without a lot because they just scared or afraid or proud or ashamed or whatever, they don't ask God for anything. Here's the bottom line. When it comes to our inheritance as a Christian, I only want what God wants me to have. But what God wants me to have, I don't want any devil in hell to take it away from me. If he wants me to have it, I want it. And I don't want it to be stolen from me, from anything the enemy has. We've got an inheritance. Just like the children of Israel were inheriting some land Jesus died he left us in his will a lot of it's on the other side of glory we'll see it one day some of it's here but you're gonna to have to fight for it and you have to walk by faith and you're gonna to have to stand and fight the enemy to possess what he's given you here as a child of God would you stand with me <clears throat> anybody here glad to be a child of God Amen, me too, me too. Maybe somebody here that's not a child of God. You don't even know what we're talking about. If you don't know Jesus, we're happy because we're all going to heaven one day. And we get to walk with him every step of the way. But if you don't know Jesus, it's going to be a sad day when we say goodbye. Because that's for all eternity. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. If there's anyone here today can honestly say, I do not know where I stand with God. If I was to die today, would I, would I go to heaven? We used to ask in witnessing, if you were to die today and stand before God, do you know if you'd go to heaven? And They would say yes or no. If they said yes, you still had to ask them another question. If you were to stand before God, why would he say yes? You get to come to heaven. And then they'd say, I keep your commandments. I live a good life. I try to give money. None of those are going to get you into heaven. Only the blood of Jesus Christ. Before we leave here today, if there's anybody here that doesn't know him, you you may have come to church all your life. I don't know. I came to church for 17 years before I got saved. But if you're here, these altars are open. Would you raise your hand if, if if that's you we're talking about? If you're not sure where you stand with the Lord. You say, You're gonna embarrass me. No, I'm not gonna embarrass you. But you'll be embarrassed and ashamed when you hear him say, I never knew you. Heavenly Father, you know our hearts, you know where we are, you know where we stand. Help us to realize who we are in Jesus. We are nothing on our own. Without you, we can do nothing. We have nothing to be proud of, nothing to boast of, except in you. But we thank you, God, for the inheritance that you've given to us. You've loaned to us, God. May we serve you and love you, seek you, and we'll find you. And walk with you through this life until we get to see all that you provided for us. I pray for every soul here today. Those that don't know you, I pray, God, open up their hearts and may the Spirit of God truly bring them to a place of repentance. And those that do know you, may we say, I'm tired of getting robbed and stolen by the enemy, all that God left for me as an inheritance. May we truly appreciate and live and enjoy all that you've given for your children. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Come back tonight. Brother Keith will be preaching.